Today in the Tech Bytes podcast, we talk custom silicon with sponsor Nokia. Nokia has recently launched its new FPCX silicon for Nokia routers. We're going to talk about uh, features and capabilities in the new silicon and the value to service providers and enterprises that custom silicon can bring. Our guest is Jeff Jacob. He is VP of Hardware Product Management at Nokia. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. So you know, this is an era where merchant silicon essentially dominates the market. So why is Nokia going against these headwinds with a custom chip? So we've seen a gap in the market when it comes to where silicon performs best. And uh, something that we've observed over the market, uh, you know, for the last uh, 15 or so years was that there's been a constant exit of vendors from making merchant silicon targeted towards service providers and mission critical uh, network operators. And where we're left with today really is just one vendor when it comes to credible merchant silicon. Now, with respect to that, we also saw a few key areas where we could really innovate. So one of the things that we're bringing to market with this new set of silicon called FPCX is that we're going to support something called in-service software update with zero packet loss. Uh, We have a unique architecture in FPCX, something that is not replicated anywhere else in the industry right now. It's a multi-core design where every core can run code independently. Now, normally when someone goes and does a system upgrade for a pizza box, they'll put new code on that pizza box, they'll turn it off, and then five to 10 minutes later, everything will come back up, reconverge, and uh, everything will carry on. Uh, We're going to change that. What we're doing with FPCX is we can do that upgrade while continuing to pass traffic. So the multi-core design that we have will allow us to drain traffic from half the cores, upgrade the microcode on those cores, uh, bring them back into service, repeat that process on the remaining cores that we have in the system, and effectively do a complete hardware level upgrade of the Mm. system without dropping a single packet. A couple of things there that I think we want to draw out here. One is the ASICs inside of high-end routers actually have software inside the ASIC or microcode. And part of the upgrade of software involves updating the code inherently inside of the ASIC, right? That's correct. So if you have a programmable ASIC, yes, you have that as an option. Right. And so, but up until now, the way that you updated the microcode was you power the device on and then it would boot up, come into a bootloader, load the operating system. And part of the boot cycle of the loading sy- operating system is to, you know, check the microcode. If the microcode's not matching the OS, then it updates and so forth and so on. And so the router has to go down. But what you're actually saying is you can actually update the microcode in the ASIC by saying, because it's multi-core. So this would be this idea of a multi-core forwarding plane would be equivalent to what Intel CPUs are with multi-threaded and they have like virtual CPUs and multi-core CPUs, that type of approach. So the only difference there being that with Intel, uh, all the cores run the same code and it's the same code by design, right? Again, we have the ability here with our multi-core design where each core can run its own individual set of code Mm -hmm. and it does not need to align to the one master copy. So you would do the update, say, in a quiet period, because obviously you're turning off half your cores, you're going to lose some performance. But there's always a quiet period on a service provider network, and but no failure. So that means just to do standard operational stuff, you don't need to have resilient chassis in a place or some resilient boxes. That is exactly right. So there mm-hmm. is actually a significant amount of space, power, and cost savings that co- does come with mm-hmm. looking at an FPCX-based pizza box. Because again, if you want high reliability, high availability, you would normally have to dual home boxes or put in a control and fabric redundant box. Uh, You don't necessarily need to do that anymore with FPCX. 
Uh, and the upgrade process itself, yes, you're going to use lose a little bit of performance when you do that core upgrade, but we could easily also just stagger the upgrade across every single core, mm. just lose a small fraction of the forwarding okay. over the period of the upgrade process. So what kind of performance specs are we talking about with this new silicon? So FPCX is five tera full duplex. Uh, one of the other key things that's uh, new and unique about the chipset also is that uh, it does have a packet-based fabric. It does not have a packet-attached fabric ASIC to it. It's designed to support a back-to-back -back configuration, but the fabric links themselves are multi-purpose. So they can actually be not only fabric links, they could be turned back around and used as network-facing ports as well in each ASIC individually. So that means that I've got some flexibility here. I can either chain into other ASICs and form a CLO design inside of the box. That's exactly right. So right. the back-to-back -back configuration that we have mm -hmm. allows us to effectively double up capacity that we have, you know, by putting two ASICs on an individual right. system. Or I can face them southbound and turn them in and connect to SFP, you know, front front-facing modules where my optical units are. Absolutely. Right. So you've right. got you've got some flexibility here again to divide up that five tera of capacity uh, in multiple different configurations. And we've got a number of different platforms, again, that do uh, use that capability in different ways. Speeds overall in FPCX, Giggy all the way to 400 Giggy, lots of breakout options, merchant power, uh, merchant silicon equivalent power on the order of 0.1 watts per gig uh, with capabilities that far exceed what you get from merchant. And again, yeah. we're talking about a 100% programmable data path with a network processor. We can change anything. So I think what I'm hearing you saying is this chip has this amazing feature, this ISSU update, zero packet loss, but there's not a trade-off here in terms of more performance to have more cores. And I'm not losing performance because that five terabits uh, full duplex capability is on a par with existing custom silicon from other vendors. So that's exactly right. So you get really good performance without being locked into silicon on day one with a set of features that's not going to evolve over time. Uh, it's fully flexible to evolve along with SRV6 you know, standards evolution or whatever else may come down the road. We'll be able to support that with hardware-based performance with just a microcode update. Very, very different than what you get from the merchant silicon rip and replace. What's the word I'm looking for here? Their philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess what I, the thing that I, if I talk about merchant silicon, when we first started talking about it, it wasn't called merchant, it was called commodity silicon. In the way that I think about the 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 merchant silicon or the commodity silicon is, it's a commodity. It's got to be the lowest common denominator to fit the widest possible market, right? And it has to have a price point low enough to be able to attract, you know, that particular thing, right? So when you start talking about custom silicon, you can optimize it for specific purposes. And in some senses, you're leaving aside a market, but there's a new market there. And you're saying here, this is service providers, people who've got very specific high volume forwarding capability to need to forward packets at scale. I want to ask a question, extend on that then is to say, a lot of these modern silicon start to use hierarchical memory structures. So they start talking out to high bandwidth memory or external memory modules to get the size of the routing tables up. Is that something that you support? Absolutely. So we have 192 megs of ingress SRAM available on each ASIC. Uh, and then we've got an eight, we've got two stacks of HBM2 on package for eight gigs of uh, deep buffering. Uh, right. And depending on the system that you look at, we are effectively fully buffered uh, with the system configurations that we're putting in place. Huge service provider focus, like you uh, highlighted mm. there. The guys that designed our QOS are the same guys that design our high end silicon 
in our 7750 series. So a lot of similarities here around uh, quas, counters, uh, and really extensibility to uh, a, a lot of really awesome features over time. So, so lots wanna... of hierarchical queues and queues and queues and priorities within those queues and all that sort of stuff that you'd expect. You didn't take any of that away to get this chip firing up, I think. Absolutely not. Again, yeah. a, a huge focus for us on uh, on making that a big part of our deliverables. Now, regarding the programmability, I understand. Um, so Nokia, you're saying you can, via this microcode update, add new features uh, to this chip without having to essentially spin up a new ASIC to get new features onto the platform. Uh, is that programmability also extended to the end customer? For right now, the model that it is we're approaching is if a customer does want new features, it would be an engagement back through Nokia in order to make that happen. But again, okay. uh, if you're looking at, again, a standards evolution, you know, most service providers, mission critical operators, you know, they don't exactly have a ton of software designers just sitting around to go and, you know, adopt new features over time, right? Mm, right. The best economics that they're going to get is really an engagement back to Nokia uh, in order to make that happen in a reasonable amount of time and fully tested out obviously. Okay. But that, but that option, if they do have, you know, some kind of feature that they'd like to get in, they can make that happen with Nokia via software engagement. Uh, of course, of course. Right. That's the, yeah. that for us is just really a simple conversation, you know, as to aligning on what their needs are and what their timelines are. Now, how about security capabilities on this chipset? Well, that's a good segue too, right? So we support something called DDoS mitigation with deterministic large-scale ACLs. So we support something called a signature-based ACL that looks not only in the IP header or the TCP header, but anywhere in the payload. And it allows us to very surgically filter out DDoS attacks, where in conjunction with one of our in-house tools, DeepField, we could actually filter out 100% of all DDoS attacks in band at the edge of a network. So an important thing to highlight here is the roles that is we're looking at, at with FPCX. Mm. And it's really focused around access, aggregation, and some light edge features. But mm. that DDoS mitigation capability, uh, it allows us to be very surgical, right? Normally, when you have a system that supports just a five-tuple ACL, uh, you get a DDoS attack, you apply your black hole to that particular flow, and you complete the DDoS attack by black holing that traffic. <laughs> So you're essentially uh, this, helping the DDoS attacker. You got it. So with a signature-based ACL where we could look anywhere in the payload, again, you get very surgical filtering capabilities. And again, it allows you to turn the network into part of the solution when it comes to dealing with DDoS. I don't think you're, you're selling this quite well enough, in my opinion, because that's unique. I was just thinking about the HTTP2 reset attack we just went through. And, you know, where they were using a particular mode of HTTP2 to try and handle the DDoS. And that means you have to have full application awareness. Now, most DDoS filtering has historically been done by just reaching into the first 64 bytes of the of the IP header, right? Correct. So you have to get right the way down into the HTTP request before you can start to unpack this HTTP2 reset attack, which was the largest to date. Google Cloudflare and, and AWS published together to say this was a lot. But it would be filterable by this because you would be able to fingerprint that. Exactly, right? So terabit level attacks are not very uncommon anymore. Uh, and again, having the ability to- I love the way we just say that and you just say like, that's a standard feature. That's not <laughs> special. Is. A terabit attack, yeah, sure, every day. Uh, it still it blows happen, my right? mind. And yeah. when you can filter that out at the edge without even having to redirect anything towards a scrubbing center, huge, huge savings are possible yeah. there, right? And mm. the, the the other part here that comes hand in hand with, uh, with the ACL filtering is that our ACLs are deterministic, which means that as you continue to apply ACLs, your performance is not going to drop. We're designed again to be line rate at full scale, 
ACLs, right? You're not going to see performance degradation with us when it comes to applying ACLs hmm. for whatever the use case might be. That's what deterministic right? means. Absolutely. Like you can say that when you add an access list, regardless of how big it is, it's deterministic. It will always perform at the same level. So just because you put in a thousand rules or a hundred thousand rules, it will still have the same performance regardless of the number of entries in the ACL. That's exactly right. That's exactly there are right. limits, of course. You've got to have a certain amount of memory. Each ACL uses up memory according to the size, but still- right? The performance is deterministic. And so that is what you expect to happen. Yes. That is our design specification. That is what we expect mm-hmm. customers to go and test and validate. And we expect to perform to that standard exactly. So there's another part as well to security. Uh, and that's, uh, we support MaxSec on a number of yeah. problems. MaxSec is kind of you know prevalent in a lot of platforms today, but we have another key capability called AnySec. And AnySec is our ability to do flow-based encryption uh, we have a Mac ASIC that we've reused from our higher end platforms called the E5. So that E5 Mac ASIC has a series of flexible pointers in it where we can start and stop uh, encryption offsets. So we can leave two VLAN headers in the clear, an IPv4 header in the clear, an IPv6 header in the clear, five MPLS labels in the clear, and then do AES 256 based quantum safe encryption on the rest of a packet. We could actually start that on the edge of a network we can finish it on the other end of the network and everything mm. in the middle of the network would be completely transparent to that end-to-end encryption because the encryption becomes now a flow overlay on top of so what this, you have now. Right. So this is per flow. So you're actually saying I can apply MaxSec to this flow, which, you know, say traffic from here to here, but you don't want to encrypt the rest of it because, you know, that doesn't need it or there's no purpose or there's some other obligation to not encrypt it. Absolutely. So if you have particular set of LSPs that you want to go and encrypt for a mm. particular service or particular set of LSPs you want to encrypt just for internal purposes. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, you funny. have that capability to do that, right? This is very granular uh, and it is designed to work at scale as well. I was thinking more about flows like applications, but you're saying you could take by a particular MPLS label switch path, LSP, and you could say this one needs to be encrypted as a customer service. There you go. Absolutely. It, so that, encrypted that, on the interface. MaxSec means it's encrypted. It's not being encrypted in a separate co-process or whatever. It's actually encrypted at you know in silicon at line speed. Exactly. So that that is our long-term vision as to where we're going with AnySec. Uh, it is to be able to do service-based encryption on network-facing ports, where you have the ability again to just turn on or turn off encryption with really just a couple clicks of uh, your automation platform. So we talked a little bit about the silicon. Of course, the silicon has to be packaged up in terms of a box or some hardware, which hardware platforms should people be looking for if they want to get some of these features? So we have a new set of platforms that have just been announced called the 7730 SXR. SXR stands for the Service Interconnect Router Series. We have a set of Broadcom platforms right now called the 7250 IXR. And we came up with the SXR name because we wanted to have something that was just a little bit sexier than what we had (laughs) in the market today compared to- SXR, (laughs) <laughs> in jokes right there, right? I think the marketing department was very proud of that one. How many of these SXR platforms are there now? Uh, we've got six that are going to start coming available as soon as the middle of the year next year. And then yeah. uh, the rollout of those is going to carry on uh, for uh, probably about a year after that. Okay. Because you mentioned uh, pizza, box for, pizza box format further up in the show. I might have created the impression that these are only for the pizza box format. Are they also modular? So we've got four pizza boxes uh, and we've got two modular platforms. Our two modular platforms are Control and Fabric Redundant. 
And then our pizza box platforms, they're the ones that are in the best position to be able to take advantage of that in-service software upgrade feature with no packet loss. Uh, And again, allow customers to go and look at options to go and uh, reduce power, reduce cost, reduce size when it comes to dealing with high availability or uh, big SLA uh, dependent requirements. Well, that does wrap up the time we have. Uh, Jeff, if folks want to find out more about this new silicon or about the new platforms it's going to be in, what should they do? Uh, the best place to go to is just go to Nokia.com and just do a quick search up there for the 7730SXR or for the FPCX chipset. All right. That's the FPCX chipset or the 7730SXR platforms. Uh, we'll also have a ton of links in the show notes that accompany this podcast with more details about the silicon, about this uh, routing platforms, uh, and even more details. So come and check that out if you want to get more details. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for joining us. And thanks to Nokia for being a longtime sponsor of the Packet Pushers. And as always, thank you for listening. Packet Pushers has a network of nerdy technical podcasts on networking, wireless cloud, Kubernetes, and more. And you can hear every episode at packetpushers.net. Uh, You can also find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, and if you would, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.